0: hear about what's happened in the church in, the, in its past but also to hear God's voice into the life of the church and uh, particularly on the, sa- the Saturday night Andrew uh, shared the word about crossing over it's time time to move and uh, it, you know I, I said to Andrew afterwards I knew exactly where you were going to go when you shared that scripture um, because it was confirmation of what God was already saying uh, to me. And so today is the beginnings of that. You all right? Okay. <laughs> today is the beginnings of that. Um, the, the title that I had, in my, I keep a note of all the things that I preach on. Everything's typed up um, and everything's filed away in the computer. And I had X amount of folders all set aside uh, and named. And the folder that was for today's message was entitled vision that was before andrew gave the word last weekend so what i'm going to do or begin to do today is to share a little bit about where we're going as a church share a little bit about vision so what i'm going to do today is lay a foundation for that which is what the message is about and then next week to begin to open some of that up and uh, for the extended leaders uh, you get a sneak preview tonight at the extended leadership meeting. Uh, so that's where we're going to go. And uh, we're going to read from Psalm 127, but in a, in a little second. Uh, the, the message today is entitled, Unless the Lord Builds a House. And, uh, you know, it really is just about sharing what God is saying to us as a church. And today I want us to look through the eyes of faith as we look to see what God is doing. There should be a little graphic up there, Kathleen. Slide two looking through the lens of faith, okay? And uh, looking through the lens of faith helps us to be focused. Now, I shared this before in the life of the church. Um, that moment when I was in the Usher Hall in Edinburgh, I listened to some classical music. i pretty sure from memory it was John Williams, uh, an evening of kind of John Williams music. If you're ever in a movie quiz with Sarah, and she asks for the author, the composer, just write John Williams. <laughs> because five times out of ten it will be the the correct answer. He's wrote so many pieces of music and we were there listening to this orchestra play John Williams' music. Very, very inspiring. But we were way up in the cheap seats, okay? And at the cheap seats, your your eyes level with the the ceiling. And on the ceiling it said, uh, "Nisi, Nisi Dominus Frustra. It's Latin. And it's from the Latin version of Psalm 127, or that's where it's base. And we're going to read not the Latin version, although I have it written down here, if I could read it. No, 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 it's the New International Version. And it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep those he loves. Just an interesting verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. And it's the exact same for the church here. Unless the Lord builds the house, we talk about the uh, the church as being like a house built with living stones. We read that in the New Testament. Unless God builds the house, we labour in vain. And what I'm saying is that God needs to be in the center of things. He needs to be the foundation stone of all that we're doing. Andrew referred to our old mission statement last week. We don't have... uh, uh, Sorry, our old vision statement. We don't have uh, a a new vision statement. What we have is defined what our mission and purpose is as a church. And our mission is to be Christ-centered and community-focused. easy to remember a hope, to be Christ-centered and community-focused. Our foundation, though, is Christ himself. As an individual Christian, my foundation is Jesus. But corporately, as a church, our foundation is Jesus. We are in Christ. Therefore, we see the world through his eyes. To be in Christ, to be Christ-centered, is to have him at the centre of our lives, that he occupies all of our thinking, all of our uh, motivation, and the things that we're trying to achieve in life. Okay, so we might be doing a, a nine to five job, but why are we doing the nine to five job? Is there a deeper purpose behind it? Is the purpose behind the nine to five job to make money, to keep a roof over our heads, or is it to share some of that resource with other people? to sow it into the, the life of the church or to sow it into someone else's life. And so we need to be Christ-centered. He is the reason for all the things that we do and being community-focused. If you think about this, if Christ is most important, the most important thing in your life, if he's influencing the way that you think, then he will influence the way that you see the world around you, the people that you come into contact with. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes think, I've been thinking this a lot recently, that we can be very, very quick to judge other people and to make our minds up about other people. I don't think that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just make snap judgments about people by the way they look or the things they say, how they dress, how they smell perhaps. Jesus didn't make snap judgments about people, but he had a different standard of judgment. So if we are community-focused, if we're in Christ and looking out from being in Christ at the things that we see around about us, we will start to look through the lens of faith. We'll start to see the things that are important to him. And so our mission statement is to be Christ-centered and community-focused. Now, I heard somebody say recently, it was a quote Uh, from a guy called David Shearman. David Shearman uh, leads a church down in England, or at least he used to. He might have handed that over now, uh, a big church down in England. And this is what he said. If your foundation is six before, then you'll only ever build a garden shed. You know, when I heard that, it really struck me because, probably because of the time when it landed in my brain and the things that were going on in my thinking and in my heart at the time, it really struck me with great force. If your foundation is a six before, then you'll only ever build a garden shed. Do you know, there's nothing wrong with a six before garden shed, is there? It's functional, which is good. It's also fit for purpose, if that's what you need. And that's good if it's fit for purpose. I could do a six before garden shed just now, because I've got no room in my garage. But it's also feasible. Six before garden sheds are very feasible. I could probably go out just now and buy a six before garden shed and put it up and put all my stuff in it, that, but it will not fit all the things that I've got to put into it. I need at least a 10 by 8 garden shed. And they're a bit more expensive, and the foundation that you need to lay for a six, uh, 10 by 8 garden shed is different. But this is what I'm coming to. It made me think about the church here. If our foundation as a church is only six by four, what are we going to build on top of it? It's going to be small. The foundation that we build the church on needs to be robust enough for the things that God wants to do. We looked at this timeline here, and last weekend I got really excited about wondering what pictures were going to go the other side of it, So, there's no room in that wall there, so they're going to have to go that way, okay? And then maybe around this way. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in the church, this church, remembering that it's His church, remembering that He is the foundation. I found a picture of a shed that really excited me. Can I put it up? Look at that shed! (laughs) This will appeal to the guys, okay? Us guys, we like sheds. We like the whole term man cave is the one that's floating about these days. Bet you've got a fantastic shed. I've been in your shed. It's absolutely amazing. It's probably better than that one. (laughs) But this one excited me because there was something about that shed that just inspired me. If you watch that program, uh, Amazing Spaces, you will have seen it featured on there. But what I see behind a construction like this is vision and knowledge and wisdom. A different kind of foundation. You lay a few slabs down, right? Get my dimensions right. Four slabs, three by two slabs, right? Four slabs is all it takes. You can lay that down in next to no time and plonk a shed on top of it. Not so with this. This has to be thought through. This has to be prepared and planned. And this is what I'm coming back to. The foundation of the church, our church here, is so important. The church is built on Jesus himself. It says of Jesus that he is the cornerstone of the church. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 says this, See, I lay a stone in Zion... A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. And then Jesus goes on to refer to this scripture. Uh, He's quoting Psalm 118. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected, talking about himself, has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, and he's talking about himself as the cornerstone of the church, the global church, the worldwide church, the church that has been in existence for the last 2,000 years. And he says here that he is the stone that the builders rejected. So go back in history, 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people, Jesus was a Jew, the Jewish people, the rulers, rejected Jesus. They said, who is this guy who's going about doing things like he's God? And then they shout out, crucify him. But then it says here that he is the cornerstone which has been approved by God. Okay, society may have rejected him, the Jewish leaders might have rejected him, but God had accepted him, and that was what was important. He is the foundation of the church, made up of living stones. Not Living stone, Living stones those who accept him by faith. And the cornerstone is the stone that takes the weight, but it also gives every other stone its proper place in the building. And that excites me. It excites me that Jesus is the one who's carrying the weight. Okay? If you've ever seen leadership structures in business, you've got your CEO at the top, or whoever the guy is at the top, and then he's got his lackeys underneath him who do all the things that he's asking him to do, then they've got lackeys underneath them, and then you've got all the, the minions like us underneath. Okay? That's not how it works in God's kingdom. Right? How it works is that God turns it round this way so that the leaders are actually carrying things. They're carrying weight, carrying responsibility. And sometimes sometimes I worry that we carry too much because we carry what God hasn't actually asked us to carry. And I don't know about you. Certainly as a leader, I have felt, I have felt the weight of leadership often. And that's okay to feel the weight of leadership. But Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He talks about taking his yoke and his burden and these things are easy, they fit. And so if I'm feeling a lot of pressure as a church leader then something's maybe a bit wrong. And I'm going off my notes here. Perhaps, perhaps why something's wrong is that you're not designed to carry all the things that you're meant to be carrying. And it'll not be the first time that somebody has said that to me as a person he is the cornerstone. He is the one who takes the weight. He is the one who gives every other stone its place. And maybe maybe sometimes, for some of us, we need to learn to let go of the things that we're struggling with, to let go of the things that are burdening us, and allow him to take the weight as the chief cornerstone. The things in our lives, the stuff that comes upon us, the stuff that we allow into our lives. And I'm definitely going off notes here, and I don't have time to go off notes if you look at church history, in church history, the times when the church goes astray, you know, people criticize the church in, 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 in history, and fair enough, because the times when the church goes off track uh, it's when they've stopped making Jesus the foundation, is when the church has stopped having Jesus as the center. And so we need to come back to that time and time again. We need to make Jesus the centre. And I want to just walk through seven keys. It's not a seven point sermon, okay? Some of them are just a sentence, don't worry. I can see the panic setting in some people's faces like, seven points! No. But God, I, I think, really wants to speak into the life of the church and talk about foundations. It's so important. You know, the Apostle Paul said that no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11. But I want to come to a scripture that I really believe God spoke to me through as I was contemplating where we are as a church, my role as a a senior leader in the church, and somebody who's here for this time and season. And it was in Isaiah 33, verse 6. I don't think it's on... Oh, yeah, it's on the screen. Thank you, Kathleen. And it says, He will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. That's the New International Version. And I found that hugely encouraging. He will be the sure foundation of your times going back to 1977 when this church began going back to the 80s, early 80s when the foundations went down for the church at that point in time it was exactly the same, he was the sure foundation he had said it's time to plant a church in Whitburn it was him it was God that instigated all of this to start with and do you know what? It's not changed. And I think about what's been accomplished in the church in the last forty years, and I think, what well, about what's coming next? Oh no. Are we gonna be up to this? Are we gonna be up to the standard as young pups, this next generation? I need to you stop using that phrase with myself, okay? Because it doesn't fit anymore. It just feels like it inside sometimes. What about us guys who are coming up? What about the younger people who are coming up? Are you going to be up to the mark? Are you going to be able to achieve the things that the generation before achieved? If I have succeeded in any way as a leader, it will be that I am able to hold the next generation higher than I am. I'm not precious about achieving great things at the expense of these young people. I want them to achieve more than I have ever achieved. He will be the sure foundation of your times. It's so encouraging, it's so comforting that things haven't changed. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the sure foundation of your times. And for some of you, it's your time. It's your time to take on the things that God has been asking you to do. If we try to build on any other foundation than this, Then we're lost. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Going back to that picture of that really cool shed. Where does that knowledge come from? Well, to build a shed like that, it comes from studying, it comes from being creative, it comes from having ideas. God can pour these things into us when it comes to His church. So we must build our lives on Him. Not trusting on our gifts, our strengths, our talents, our physical strength, our brains, our intellect, or our independence. We are so independent sometimes these days. The church is a body. We're meant to be co-dependent, interdependent. But all of these things, the things which we have as strength within us can be shaken in an instant. I don't know if you remember that video by Ed Dobson, where his conclusion was, we control nothing. He used different words, but that was his conclusion. We control nothing. Solomon put it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Let the Lord Jesus be the foundation of your life. So, I've not quite got to my seven points yet. Oh dear. But I'm going to mention some of these seven points. Things which I think are keys when it comes to laying a foundation. And the first one is this. And it's the place of fear. Why? Because it says in Isaiah 33, 6 there, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's the key to the treasure of salvation. It's the key to the treasure of wisdom, the Bible tells us. It's also the key to the knowledge that we need to build what God is expecting us to build in our times. And perhaps the greatest danger for the church today, certainly in present-day society, is that we lose our fear of God. And what does it mean by the fear of God? You might hear different... Schools of thought on this. But let me read a wee story from Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible, if not the oldest. And this is what Eliphaz said, one of Job's comforters. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on men. Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake Listen to this, verse 15. A spirit glided past my face and the hair of my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Eliphaz talks of an experience where the hairs on the back of his neck stood up, the hairs in his arms stood up. It's like terror. Now, uh, we could do a little bit more information about this story. I think he encountered an angel, a created being, a messenger from God. But if this is the effect that encountering a created being has, what effect does it have when we encounter a supernatural God a God who's loving, a God who's all-powerful. Stop to think, stop to think about this for a second. Imagine yourself being the only person, okay, maybe you can have some friends. You and your little group being the only people that exist on the planet. Imagine how quiet it would be. Well, it depends who your friends are, I suppose. <laughs> right? But imagine how quiet it would be, okay? Let's also take out all the electricity, Right? So we're only left with a fire for heat, for cooking, for making things clean, for boiling water. Imagine, imagine you're sitting with you and your little friends around a campfire. You're the only people who exist in this massive earth. And then start to zoom out from that and see how small earth is compared to our solar system. But then zoom out from that and think how small our solar system is compared to the universe. Okay, let's zoom back in to the conversation around the campfire. Man, look at those stars. Who called them stars? Who gave them that name? Look at those stars. Imagine how awesome it would be to be the only person, or you and your little group, on the planet. How awesome that would be. We've seen on our TVs this week just how powerful nature is. Imagine you're the little group and you're experiencing nature and all its ferocity. I think you would be a little bit fearful. I think I would be fearful. I like my, my time away, but I don't like to be in my own that much. Imagine encountering the living God. And yet we forget. We take God for granted. We narrow God down to services like this, and this is all it's about, the little thing that we experience here today. God is a phenomenal, all-powerful God. The early church experienced this, and this is my prayer, that we experience these things as well. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Do you know that word awe? Is the Greek word phobos? Does it sound familiar? Where via Latin we get the word phobia, a fear. And it, that word is used 47 times in the New Testament. Everyone was filled with fear, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done we've kind of lost sight of that to some extent as a church. I believe that God wants to restore these things. Have you ever observed the behavior of somebody with a phobia? So if your phobia is spiders, have you ever seen somebody when a spider comes into the room? Oh dear, it's, it's not NC winsie that's for sure. Just the, the reaction that some people take when they've got a phobia about something. It's an irrational reaction. Imagine when we see things happen that are irrational. So there's a the place of fear that I think needs to be restored in the church. Then there's the place of his presence. Ron spoke about the life of Samson recently in the life of the church. And for me, the saddest thing about that story has always been that Samson, when he got up, didn't realize that God had left him. And that bothered me even as a young person. I never want to be in a place where I get up thinking I'll go and I'll do whatever it is. I'll get down to uh, Pole and do my assembly just as I normally do and find that when I get there, it all goes wrong because God's not with me in that moment because I've begun to take it for granted and do things in my own strength. There's the place of His presence. We need to Remain in his presence. We need to experience his presence. And then there's the, player, uh, the Sorry, the place of prayer and fasting. And it can't be underestimated. Prayer connects us with God. Prayer changes us. Prayer is where we get God's heart. And prayer is an integral part of our lives as Christians. And therefore it is also an important and integral part of the corporate life. Of the church. Without prayer, the corporate life of the church is hindered. Our personal lives are hindered. Fourthly, the place of worship. All our worship should be to point us to God. All of life should be an act of worship. But when we come together to sing and to make music with instruments and in our hearts, our aim is to put a magnifying glass on God to look at God through the lens of worship, to make God bigger in the things that we are singing, saying, believing as we sing. But it's also the place where God comes and meets us. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so it's a foundational part of church life. The fifth foundation is the place of his word. God's words are precious to us. They're not always easy to understand or put into practice. And we've got to try and listen to God's voice. It's hard, and we've got to practice it. But we've got to listen to what God is saying to us. He speaks most often through His word. And He's more willing to speak, I think, than we at times are to listen because our lives get filled with so many distractions. You know, it made me think about the relationship between teenager and parent. Okay, for those who are interested, there's a, an evening for teenagers and uh, parents who've got teenagers, or if you've got those who are coming up into teenage years, um, So on the 10th of October, if there's enough people, we'll take a minibus, right? But think about the relationship between teenager and parent. This is how it goes. How was school today? Said all enthusiastically. Fine. What did you do? Nothing much. What did you learn? I don't know. I don't know. Think about it. God is saying, how was school today? Fine. Relationship between us and God. How was the church service today? Fine. Fine. The sermon could have been a bit shorter. (laughs) Right? We didn't sing my favorite songs today, but hey all. What did you learn today in church? (laughs) Nothing much. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) It's, It's exactly the same stuff. The place of his word coming into us. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God. I don't have a physical Bible here because I use my iPad all the time. The physical ones are in there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've got one on my shelf, okay? And it looks a bit like this, Ian. Well worn, full of notes and scribbles. Mine looks the same. All my notes are electronic these days, which is really good because you can sync them across devices. But God speaks. What's so funny about that? God speaks to us, and we take note. Like that verse I told you about back in my notes, there, Isaiah 33:6. He will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. How do I know God spoke to me? Because I read a verse, and something happened inside. Something came alive inside as I read it, and the timing was perfect because it fitted into other things that were going on inside of me. And it happens time and time and time and time again where God comes and speaks the very words that you need to hear. And we can respond by saying, fine, nothing much, don't know. And God wants to deposit something in us that will change us, radically change us. Sixth point, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 2 42. The place of fellowship, another foundation. If you remember from a previous sermon, that fellowship is intimate partnership. Intimate partnership between us and God because we have fellowship with God, but also intimate partnership between us, the members of the church. If we are to be an intimate partnership, there needs to be unity amongst believers. And I'm going to share something next week which you need to hear. We all need to hear, I think, because I really believe God spoke to me. That's for next week. So make sure you're here next week. And make sure your pals are here because there's too many empty seats, okay? See the people who are not managing along on a Sunday. Can I ask that we phone them and encourage them and say that we miss them and that we love them? The place of fellowship. Next week we'll share communion as well. It's that act of fellowship, that act of love where we remember Jesus' death, resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross. It's also that time where we need to consider one another. Point number seven, the place of the prophetic in the life of the church. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 to 22 says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, that is the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is what is being built here. Not a club. Not about getting more members. Not about doing some crazy wacky things. But about being built together as a dwelling place in which God lives. If we were doing a study in the temple, we would really find it interesting to look at why everything was put in place. But the ultimate purpose was a place for people to come and meet with God. We are the temple of God. It relates back to hearing God's voice. The Bible is always our standard for knowing God, His voice into our lives, and His will for our lives but there needs to be that prophetic edge in what we're sh- uh, sharing from the pulpit and perhaps in our one to one conversations. We need to develop ears and our flow in the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is essentially declaring the word of God. But there's a dimension of declaring the word of God at the right time, in the right season, having the right words and understanding what is behind it. And increasingly, We need to see the church exercising the gift of prophecy. Almost finished. I'm going to finish off by just reflecting on some of the things that are going on just now. Um, These are the things which are foundational. And the church is not a building. But this is a building in which we meet Up on the screen, there's a picture of what the church looked like a number of years ago. And the title for the picture is Barbed Wires and Window Bars, because that's what it used to look like. In that picture, the church looks, the the building itself looks tired. But the question we need to ask ourselves about the building today, is it fit for purpose? Is it welcoming? Is it a place where new people can come in? Is it useful? Is it inspiring? Think back to the picture of the garden shed that was on Amazing Spaces and compare it to the six before. Which would you rather have in your garden? I would rather have the inspiring building, something that I can sit out in, and it's got a wood burner stove as well. Sorry, I'll get excited about it, okay? I would rather be in the building that is inspiring. Does it need to be inspiring? Does the church building need to be inspiring? Look at church buildings throughout the centuries. The time that it took to build them. Look at the ceiling, not in this church, but look at the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. And just stop to think about that for a second. Why does it look like that? Because Michelangelo believed that the God that he believed in was worth making a big noise about, was worth getting excited about, was worth spending time and energy and money on, was worth telling other people about how wonderful he was. The big cathedrals that I've stood in, and looked around at the stonework, and the masonry, and the woodwork, and the craftsmanship, and think of the thousands and thousands of hours that went into creating that. Why? Because God is worthy. We're not going to build old-fashioned-looking stone buildings, but buildings that are fit for purpose in our time, in our generation. But they need to be Buildings that glorify God they need to be inspiring they need to say this God who these guys serve is an incredible God because look at that I had a story about somebody who became a Christian just because of a church building somebody had vandalised the outside of the church building and it was fixed like that and this person said if that's how they treat the building how do they treat each other? something in that for us to think about. If that's how they treat a building, how do they treat each other? And so I believe that the building needs to speak about who God is. We want to create a nice cafe space in here for groups to meet, outreach groups. We also want to make the space usable so that when all these seats are filled, and they will be, and we need extra seats that there are places for people to sit where they can be part of the service that's going on in here. We had some visitors in the church a few Mondays ago, and I'll talk about that maybe next week. Um, visitors from another church, a church leader, two church leaders in fact, and they said to me, you need to get some signs outside. And I was like, I know, we're working on it. But we've been working on it for months, years. Years. How long does it take to put a sign up? You need to put a sign up. If God is is truly an incredible God, we want to tell people about what God is doing in this place. So we need to put up signs and tell people about what happens in here. And we're looking at the whole building and looking at upgrading the building that we're in just now. And at this point in time, funding applications are in to see if we can get some help to do that. We have some money set aside to do that, but we're actually looking for funding to help us to improve the building here. We're looking at our tired old PA system and thinking it's time to change that, okay? No disrespect to Ronnie, who put this up years and years ago, and it has been serving the church for years. But we listened during the week to a new set of speakers. And I could hear things in the music that I couldn't hear. It was just incredible. I was like, oh, so that's what it sounds like. (laughs) It's got to be fit for purpose. It's got to inspire people because the God that we serve is the King of Kings and he's worth it. So we need to think about the building. But more importantly, when it comes to foundations, if we don't want a six by four, then we need to look at the foundation of leadership. God has designated that there should be leadership in the church. It has been that way since the calling of Simon and Andrew to be disciples, who would later become apostles and a voice into the fledgling church. Listen to what Ephesians says. It was he, talking about Jesus, Who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is God's design. Leaders carry responsibility. And ultimately, greater accountability when we stand before God. The foundation of leadership in the church is important. And that's, the the Bible uses this term elder. We call our senior, uh, we call our elders the senior leadership team in the church. And I remember back on the 20th of March... 2016, when I shared with the senior leadership team at that time that it was not my intention to add to the senior leadership team at that point because I wanted to take things at a pace which I could absorb, trying to adjust to the new role since Andrew left. However, in recent months, I've become increasingly aware that it is now time. And this has been confirmed twice through two separate people, if ever I needed confirmation. That it's time, it's time to build this leadership foundation in the church. And so we're in the process of appointing new senior leaders, elders, and more to come in that when we're ready, not just not ready to launch into that at the moment. I also appreciate the input from colleagues and people like Ron Edwards who comes and speaks, Ray Stokes who brings the prophetic voice into the church. I appreciate all the input that comes into the life of this church. But the senior leaders can't do all the work either. And so it's my intention to establish a vision team. The Bible has a really simple word for that. It calls them deacons. <laughs> it's really simple. But vision team are the people who carry that vision, who put it into practice. We looked at the word deacon in a Sunday sermon just recently somebody who serves, people who serve. But there are also people who carry the vision of the church. They have skills, knowledge, and understanding. And hopefully we're relying on God to make these things happen. But there's a need to release the gift of administration into the church fully. And that will be part of this team. Now, I was debating whether I would share this today or not, but I'm going to share it anyway, Mary. Mary. Um, because you as a church are fortunate that you get two for the price of one when it comes to Stevie and Mary Roy. You literally do, okay? You know, I've often wondered what I would do if Mary wasn't alongside me. I don't know if I could do the things that I do, but then we're dependent on God's grace, aren't we? But Mary works alongside me in an unpaid capacity, but with a God-given role as a pastor. We read in Ephesians there that God has appointed some people to be different things in the church. Mary is a pastor. She always has been. And Mary also continues to be involved in counseling, school chaplaincy, hospital chaplaincy, and now more recently workplace chaplaincy, as God has opened that door. And despite her health challenges that would keep many of us in bed, she soldiers on There's one life for living, and it's for living for God. And so I recognize my wife today and the role that she plays in this church, in our family, and in relation to me. And I couldn't do the things that I do without her. But in light of all these things, Mary's now pursuing associate status with Assemblies of God, which doesn't mean that she's going to be my associate pastor, assistant pastor. She is a pastor. It's a recognition of of the gift that's already there and the role that she plays in the community and her chaplaincy work and her evangelism that she does as well. It's a a recognition by the denomination of her role uh, in the church and in the community. The foundation of leadership is so important. Leadership in small groups as well. I know I said I was nearly finished. I thought I was. Gee whiz, I'm looking at that clock. You've been so patient. And we're in the process of speaking to people about leading small groups. We have pretty much a, a good team of small group leaders as well now. We live in a digital age. So we're also looking at the logo just now, our church logo, the, the tree. Our website, our social media. And these are important ways that we engage with the world that we're in, the world that we need to engage in, a a digital world as well. We've also been considering how to live stream uh, the sermon on Facebook. Why do we do all this? We do all this because we believe that God is an incredible God. We believe that God has something to say prophetically into the life of this community and the, the surrounding communities. The reason behind this is to connect with our community, and to make something of our church available to people, to a wider audience. Because I believe that the message of Jesus is good news. In fact, I believe that the message of Jesus is the best news. We've fallen short as a, as a society. We look at what's happening in our world, and we just think, this is not the way that God designed it to be. And our brokenness stops us from connecting with God. Jesus made that connection possible again. So these are some words of introduction to what I feel God is saying we need to be taking care of in the life of the church. Today has been about foundations. I hope you've heard my heart. There's more to come. I want to talk more about vision uh, next week in the life of the church. Um, It will not be as long a message, I promise. So thank you for your patience today. I wonder if we could just stand. Musicians, come back up. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord.